continue in Matthew chapter 5 today, and then of course next week will be a Holy Week, and then after that we'll do the next three, which will go into uh, prayer, fasting, supplications, petitions, intercessions, things like that. Um, we'll probably uh, touch on almsgiving a little bit more in the next three weeks, those three weeks as well. Um, opening text, Psalms, are we recording, Sister Carolyn? Perfect. Thank you, ma'am. Sorry, I should have asked already. Psalms 119 and verse 1, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Giving during breakout sessions, tithe, offering, and transformed truth are going to be uh, the same as we talked about the last few weeks. You can give on the Truth Church Center app. Uh, there will also be an usher at that door once we're dismissed, so you can give at the door as you're, uh, as you're leaving. Please don't forget this Sunday starts Holy Week, Holy Ghost and Fire Services Sunday morning, and also Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights at 7 p.m., and then Easter Sunday morning. Don't forget to invite your friends and family, invite your neighbors and every stranger you see, and don't forget to invite every enemy you have. Make sure you bake them a fresh batch of, of cookies and say, come to church. I love you. The thing is, love overcomes every evil. Romans 12, 21, overcome evil with good. Bring him to Jesus. That's really the point during this Holy Week. It's not just for a week because we don't do things seasonally, but it's so that there may be a start of a relationship, a start of a new beginning. And who knows may, what may happen if we step out in faith, just as Peter, who stepped out of the boat, outside of his comfort zone, and what was impossible became possible. What if you invited that person that you would never think would come with you to church? What if you gave your testimony to that person that you're at variance with and it forever changed their life? You never know. Last but not least, we'll spend time in prayer and fasting for the services next week um, and uh, that God his will will be accomplished in each person. Let's start with prayer for the three sessions for our offerings. We'll continue to pray for Sister Ginger, Brother Gilbert, the entirety of the Gilbert Homes, Brother and Sister Jones. Uh, keep um, um, our families who are sick and in need, and I'm sure there's a, a very long list. I just don't have it in front of me. Uh, hold up those names. Someone you haven't seen in church in a while, and you know there may be issues of life, issues of home, of health, or whatever bear them up and so fulfill the law of Christ, so fulfill your purpose in the body. Lord, we come before you just in humility, knowing that you are and that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we might ever ask or think. And we know this is only according to your great power and your grace and glory in our lives. We stand because, Lord, you cause us to stand. We live and move and have our being because your mercy abounds in our lives. And we come before you this Wednesday night in this breakout session, Lord, desiring you more than anything in this life. I ask you, Lord, to have your way in this time that as every scripture is given, every Greek and Hebrew and the definitions and the meanings that you, God, would let your word, your infallible truth, be sown on the tables of our hearts. Let your word, Lord, have the preeminence in every part of our lives. Even through this session and even the days after, God, anoint our ways, our going in and our going out. Direct us, God, in the ways of holiness and truth and separation 
Let our eyes be fixed upon you and only you. Let our hearts, God, become pliable. Lord, let us be, Lord, just as you called us to be, the children of light, the children, Lord, who, who offer up a sacrifice more acceptable. God, cover us in your blood. Lead us and guide us in these breakout sessions. Let our ears be open. Let our hearts be attentive. And let your perfect will and your perfect word have free course in every part of our lives. Lord, we surrender everything we have in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue where we left off last week, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? Last week we talked about mercy, and merciful means to be compassionate and to have pity. The merciful offer their ear to listen and a shoulder to cry on. They see a situation and they seize it. Have you ever come across someone that was broken and desperate and there was no one there with compassion, but you just happened to be at that very perfect place and time to offer an ear to listen and offer words of encouragement that they might receive whatever it is that God has for them. The merciful seize those opportunities they're slow to speak, and they're quick to listen. They care for those that others may take little to no thought in, but they have pity and compassion on them with a just weight and balance. They're merciful not because the Lord will have mercy on them, but the mercy because they love people. They care about the eternal destiny. They care about the outcome of someone's life. Mercy is not about what we can get, but it's about what can we give. More blessed to give than to receive. Blessed are the merciful. They offer pure love with no motives or agenda. And though these know they'll get hurt and wounded by people they care for, they can't stop having mercy. And they can't stop having compassion. It's who they are, their DNA. It's part of their core values. The merciful in the realms of forgiveness, they see eternity at every glance. You know, sometimes in the natural, we see a situation and we, we perceive it and we see it in the natural. But the merciful, they look at it and they, this, there's an eternal destiny here. This situation, though it may be grievous for the person, could lead to a place of salvation that they might receive that precious manna hidden from the foundation of the world. The merciful don't wait for someone to ask them to forgive them, but they're quick to forgive, not allowing time and seasons to pass. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. The inherent danger of going to sleep with, without mercy, without forgiveness is what, when you went to sleep, may have been just a grain of mustard seed by morning can grow to be a mighty oak. Issues that didn't have to be issues tomorrow could have been resolved today. And the merciful sees that today while there is day, while there is time. And that's what the merciful do. If left unresolved, those things that we just sleep on can grow 
not just from that tall oak, but into what God calls a root of bitterness. And this is blessed of the merciful. Forgiveness. With that root of bitterness comes in by Hebrews 12:15 comes what's called defilement. And a person that's defiled is missing an opportunity with Lord because they're separated between two, the spirit and the flesh. The merciful offer up true forgiveness, not the world's I'll forgive you, but I'm not forgetting. Anyone ever heard that? That thought process is vengeance and revenge. To always hold a person's past over their head. And this is what vexes and condemns people who just need mercy. People who just need your compassion. They just need you to love them more than the issue or the hate or the anxiety or whatever it is. Love overcomes evil. When God, what does, does God do in the realms of mercy? Psalms 103 verse 11 through 13. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. A father does what? He leads his, his family by example. Every walk, every step. In the natural, we look up to our parents to be an example of what we should be as adults. We become adults and we have kids. Our kids look up to us as an example of what they should be when they're an adult. How we act and react, behave. God as our Father gives us the example of how we should forgive, of how we should have compassion. And if in the natural we give so heed that we want to be like our dads or moms, how much greater should we want to be like our Heavenly Father to follow his example of what he called us to be? The merciful forgive those who do not even know they have sinned or done wrong against them. And to go further, the merciful do not even tell the person what they have done. They never mention the situation to them, not once. They never even talk to anyone on the planet because mercy rejoices over judgment. They choose to forgive as God forgives and they cast it as far as the east is from the west. Do the merciful get hurt and offended? Wounded? Yes. But they understand to treat others how they want to be treated. This is Beatitudes. If you don't want others to talk about you behind your back or question your pure heart, then don't do this to others. If you don't want, if you've done something wrong and you don't want to be railed on and accused, don't do this to others. Do others as you would have them do unto you. Blessed are. If you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt, then you must do this for them. Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. That simply means whatever you dish out, you're going to get it back. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we reap life everlasting. When we think about the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, it's the same concept. Because whatever we sow 
in dealing with humanity and people is what we're going to receive back. If we sow with a pure heart, a pure spirit of right mind, right motives and intentions, we can receive that same back. But if we sow with anger and rebellion and jealousy and all this junk, it can turn back upon your own head. And what used to be peace is no more peace. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Do you want an example of what a moat and a beam is? Here's a moat in your brother's eye, and here's a beam in your eye. So we saying, how are you going to cast a moat out of your brother's eye if you've got a beam in yours? How in the world are you going to see clearly? This is one of the things that hinders us from being able to minister to people. Because we try to minister, but we have issues ourselves that are unresolved and blinding us from seeing the picture and the reality of situations. And we're trying to follow the Holy Ghost, but all the time, we've got a beam. And we've got to get the beam out of our eye that we might see clearly so that we might be able to minister to others in the way that the Lord would have us minister. Is this good? Okay. The merciful plead and advocate for the forgiveness and pity of God for others. This is so critical for the church. You know, these Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through, isn't, isn't for edification of the world, though it's an example for them. This is a call for us, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act and react. And we are to advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves and plead for those who cannot plead for themselves. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9, open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Jude chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, and of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by flesh. Twice in St. Matthew, Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. All through the, the word, you can see the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They were very quick to say, well, the law says this, the law says this, and hold constraints into that. And the law isn't abolished, but we've got to apply the law correctly and not with the hand of, thou must do this, but a hand of, you get to do this. You see the difference in our attitude, how we propose it? Jude's such a precious scripture because some have compassion making a difference. And the question I reckon we should all ask ourselves is, Am I making a difference in those that God has put in the path of my life? Whether it be your family or friends or strangers, enemies, 
whatever it may be, am I making a difference? The merciful give and hold not back. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 to 28. Withhold not good for them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow will I give when thou hast it by thee. They come up and say, can I borrow? Can you do this and that? We, and it's by our means. And God hasn't quickened you any other direction you just lend. And don't say, well, come back tomorrow because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow is ever going to come. It'd be a horrible thing to show up at heaven's door and you're standing side by side and, well, I asked for help, but he shut the door. I asked for help, but she shut the door. It's good anyway. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. This part about lending and expecting nothing in return is an attribute that every Christian should have. There's Throughout the Old Testament, I didn't pull, up, pull the scriptures to deliver today, but there's many scriptures that talk about if you lend under the church, someone in the church, don't do it with usury, meaning lending with expecting some increase, because then God's going to hear the cry of your brother or sister. There's a proper way to do things, decent and in order. And when we give, hoping for nothing in return, there's that peace. One, we've blessed someone. And two, there's not some expectation. You know, every time you see them, are they going to give this? Are they going to do that? There's not that thing hanging over their head or your head. And sometimes, this is way off my notes, sometimes when you bless and help people, they worry about that. You know, every time they see you and they wor- those thoughts cross their mind, well, they did this and I need to do this. And if someone blessed you and they said, don't worry about it, thank God and move forward. Don't worry about all the, I'm in the pulpit. Don't worry about all the stinking thinking, okay? The junk that crosses our minds, it doesn't need to stay in our minds, okay? The merciful give in private so as not to have their name or voice lifted on high. They're humble and meek about it. Because the opposite of that is if you sound a trumpet and you're giving and blessing, you've already got your reward don't even expect something in heaven. <laughs> you got it. You got the pat on the back from Billy Bob or Susie Q or whoever it is. Um, when you give to those in need, you're lending to the Lord. And I'll tell you, there's a disciple who keeps that mentality in lending. If they bless someone they never ask for one thing. If anything, they tell the person not to give anything to them ever again, not to mention it. Because they're doing it, lending it to God. And I'll give you a testimony of someone who did that. They lent someone something in February, and by March, God gave them 10 times what they lent. They didn't do it to get 10 times back. It's just the principles of God. If we do it with a right heart, a right spirit, a right attitude, God honors it. And when you lend to the Lord, God's not going to be in debt to you or me. 
so give. The merciful, um, I'm sorry, when the Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the merciful understand this and the joy of giving and blessing others. It is a far greater thing to give and help someone than to have the handout receiving. You know, it's great to receive a gift, but there's just something about giving and helping people. This is the heart that every one of us should have. The heart to give and the heart to surrender. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are many things that can be said about the heart. And um, I'm not going to go into as much detail as I'd like to go into this, because I think when I do the series in August, September, I'm going to go further into the issues of the heart at that time. But I want to give just a, a few things around what does it mean to have a pure in heart. When we read the Word of God, God talks about of the good, a pure heart, a perfect heart, a clean heart, a circumcised heart, an upright heart, a true heart, and so forth. So many attributes that describe a healthy heart. And not so good, he talks about an uncircumcised heart, a hardened heart, a stony heart, an impotent heart, and so forth. He also talks about the thoughts of the heart, the secrets of the heart, the imaginations of the heart, and of hearts failing. And last, he talks about meditations of the heart in the realms of let my, the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto him. And that's the necessity for every one of us. For blessed are the pure in heart. The word pure means to be clean and to be clear. The word clean for clean heart means to be pure, meaning they're interchangeable. So when you look at pure heart and clean heart, they're basically the same thing when you look at the, the definitions of them and you look at the, each of those meanings, Greek and Hebrew. To be pure, clean, and clear, free of all clutter and all sin free of all that is of this world and of the flesh. We mentioned a few times out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's your heart check. It's a really good indication of, is my heart clean? Is my heart pure? Is my heart righteous? So what is a perfect heart? The word perfect for perfect in heart from the Hebrew means complete, which brings us right back to a pure heart. Same thing in the realms of eternity. God Almighty declared Solomon to not have a perfect heart like David had, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. Yet David had to deal with sin and he had to deal with immorality. But God said David had a perfect heart. God declared King Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. And last, Jesus said of King Asa, the high places were not removed, which is not a good thing. If you've ever studied about high places and groves, that's not a good thing. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. 1 Kings 15, verse 4. Yes, ma'am. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1 for King Amaziah. And then 1 Kings 15, verse 4 for King Asa. 
And if you go before and after, you'll see more context to the scripture, of course. Two of the differences between David compared to Solomon and Amaziah was that David never gave in to idolatry or any abomination. Neither did King Asa. These two men stayed pure in their hearts in this matter to have no other gods before God. There was no idolatry, no abomination. And when we look at the life of David, David was always quick to do what? Repent. I die daily. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. Knowing that David had issues of life just like every man does, he lived a life of repentance. He never let any abomination in his life, and God declared he had a perfect heart. That's one of our recipes for how do we get to heaven. God declares in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity, which is love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. The word unfeigned means sincere and without hypocrisy. Psalms 24, verse 3 through 4, Who shall attend, ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. A pure heart is free from sin and iniquity, free of all that's abominable and idolatrous, and it's not defiled. A pure heart is a clean heart. A pure heart's a clear heart. A pure heart is a perfect heart. And the last text for this section before we move on, Psalms chapter 51, verse 7 through 12. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is the only scripture in the Bible where the word peacemakers is used, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, you won't find the word peacemakers or peacemakers anywhere except for this one text. The word peacemakers in the Greek means pacifactory, which I probably mutilated that word, and peaceable. The word pacifactory comes from the word pacifier. And yes, this is referring to a baby's pacifier. I'll read that again. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pacifiers. Okay. What does the pacifier do? When properly inserted, it stops all the crying and complaining and all the drama. Okay. Am I ever got it right? Okay. That's, it might be oversimplified. But when you insert it, all the cares of life seem to have just stopped. Almost instantly, tears stop once the pacifier is in place. Webster Dictionary defines peacemaker as one who makes peace by reconciling parties at variance or parties at opposition, those issues with each other. The peacemakers are those who mediate and pacify issues between people and couples and families. 
Brother Jason Watts is a great example of a biblical peacemaker, not only as a minister for every man of God, every man that's called of God to be a minister is a peacemaker. That's his part of the calling. But Jason Watts is, Brother Jason Watts is also licensed to counsel. And he mediates situations and at times has to put the big boy or big girl pacifier in their mouth to stop the drama. I tried to do all that so you could picture that big pacifier going in their mouth. But, um, but it's comical, but it's true. Finding a biblical way to pacify the situation as the Holy Ghost leads and guides you, this is a peacemaker. There must be unbiased mediators in the earth to objectively hear both sides and find common ground. A peacemaker, a son and daughter of God, seeks common ground for those at variance or opposition to each other. But this can never abandon sound doctrine or the plan of salvation or the truth and testimonies of the Lord. Meaning when you're mediating those or trying to bring peace to a situation, there can be no forsaking of the truth of God. There can be no bending of the scripture, bending of the light. The word of God is forever established and it will never change. And we can't bend it to fit the model of what people want it to say and how to make them feel good about whatever it is. We can't abandon any of those things, otherwise our efforts are in vain, and we end up leading them another path when there is no other path. And under the sound of my voice, I'm positive that every one of you have probably had to be a peacemaker at some point, if not many, many times. Jesus is our mediator, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. He is arbitrating, counseling, pleading, and pacifying between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell that his creation might have life and that life more abundantly. Brothers and sisters, we are here to finish the work God started. And you are to be peacemakers in the earth. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the voice of Jesus speaking in the world as the Holy Ghost leads and guides and directs you. You are the voice pleading for those that they might be saved. Be a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound good? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for those of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Literally, God is telling you when you're enduring that persecution and reviling that you just need to break out in the Holy Ghost and start dancing and shouting and worshiping with all your might. Can you imagine going through what Job or Joseph or many others did, what they endured and then rising at midnight at the new day and just worshiping with all their might? There was a disciple that was offered up as the devil was, offered up to the devil as Job was, and in the midst, a messenger came and told that disciple their career was gone. 
and then that the house they'd been buying for seven years was gone. Then a messenger came and said all their finances were gone and all their possessions were being sold for pennies on the dollar and everything was gone. Then the messenger came back to tell them that their daughter had passed and the rest of their family was in destruction and turmoil. This messenger came three more times with nothing but bad news. It was complete destruction of everything. Destruction of everything except for that disciple's faith. When Paul was locked up, he had Silas, and they lifted each other up. But that disciple who lost all this had no one to lift him up. Just as Job and Joseph had no one on this planet to lift them up. That disciple, all they could do was bow their face to the ground at nasty concrete and worship and praise God. Everything's gone. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Persecutions are going to come. Revilings are going to come. Issues are going to come. And you can't stop it. We're in 2021, and we're probably at a very peaceful time compared to what it will be before the last Trump, most assuredly. But in that day, it's going to be far worse than any of us can imagine, and how will we endure, save we keep our faith and trust in God? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Persecution does not always come with the sticker that says persecution. Some may think in the last days those who remain will be persecuted and killed for being Christians, and some will. But many are going to be accused of the most atrocious crimes and condemned and killed for things they've never done. Joseph was accused of immorality. Jesus, God Almighty, accused of being a blasphemer. And if they call Jesus a blasphemer, what are they going to do to you? The church endures this today and she'll continue until the last trump. But as they accuse and condemn Jesus, so will they do to many of you. But what they do to you, they're not doing to you. What they're doing to you, they're doing to God. If they curse you, they're not cursing you, they're cursing God. If they talk about you, they're not talking about, about you, it's God. If they betray you, they're betraying God. Don't take it personal. He's your daddy. He's, he's got wide shoulders. He can bear it. In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given to you in that hour, that speak you. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall portray brother to death, and the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. Anyone here interested in being persecuted? It's going to come. Just be content with it. The, the, the precious thing is if it comes your way, then God has trusted you. 
If it comes your way, it will only come your way because God already knows that you're equipped for the battle. He would have never allowed Job to go through what Job went through if he didn't know what Job could endure and withstand. The issue, way off my notes, the issue is we get into these problems of life and we think it's more than we can bear and, and there's just too much and we pray that, God, no matter what, get me out of this. God so mercifully gets you out and then six months later you're in that same boat again because you have to go through the valley of the shadow of darkness to learn whatever it is you're supposed to learn and do. And if we're always sidestepping, God deliver me, God deliver me, and not God take me through, how do we ever learn and grow what we're supposed to learn and grow about? So rejoice when you're persecuted. Rejoice when you're betrayed. Be, that's worthy of persecution. And that's one of the stamps or the seals, if you will, of the Almighty that you're his son or daughter. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his Savior, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. So what is salt? I did a really interesting study about this, and, and I knew when salt was pure that it's white. What I didn't know was before that state, salt is colorless. And I sat and thought about this, salt is colorless and the church has no color or nationality. We're one body. Salt, when it's pure, is white. And in the last days, when we make it to heaven by the grace of God, what are we clothed with? A white robe that covers all the way to the feet. That white robe of purity. When salt is impure, it has, it has spotches, just like sin stains. You're the salt of the earth. Salt is used as a season, and the church is to add season in this tasteless and corrupt world. And that brings hope to those who have no hope. Salt is used to preserve foods. The church is to preserve and keep that which is holy. All while bearing one another's burdens, you are your brother's keepers to preserve your brothers and sisters. Salt is used to break up hardened ice on the roads. The church led the Holy Ghost is to break the yoke, the hardened and stony hearts of many traveling the roads of this life. Is this still okay? Okay. And what of the salt that has lost his savor and is good for nothing to be cast out? The words have lost his savor in the Greek means to become a fool, dull. There's no kids in here. We got kids. Okay, I'm going to say it. And if I get in trouble, parents, just rebuke me, okay? I've lost his savor in the Greek means to be a fool, dull, stupid, a blockhead, absurd, foolish, and foolishness. Okay? <laughs> That's the Greek. And I think the word blockhead means really dumb or something like that. Anyway, um, I have to relook that one up probably to make sure I'm fact-checking myself. Savior in the Webster Dictionary means to taste or smell or flavor of something. The taste, smell, or flavor of something. So in part, to lose savor means to lose 
your first love. Which leads to being what? Lukewarm. And what did God say about the lukewarm? Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I did a study of a word. It's always interesting those words that are in the Bible just once or just twice. And the word cool, C-O-O-L, is in the Bible two times in the entire Bible. And for those who may know, that was a very popular word a long time ago. People would say, that's cool, man, and you know, all this stuff. You know, anyone ever heard that? Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a 60s baby, so I mean, it's just, anyway. But it was a catchphrase, cool. But when you look at the word cool in the Bible, it's only mentioned two times. The dictionary, Webster Dictionary, says the word cool means neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. The two scriptures in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3:8 and Luke chapter 16, verse 24, the only time that word cool is mentioned is in regards to someone in sin and iniquity, opposed to the things of God. It's interesting that they're both texts fall in that same thing, sin and transgression. You, I, were to be the salt of the earth, but to be the salt, we must be hot, on fire for God, full of the Holy Ghost and fire. I've got to watch the time so I don't, get in, don't go over, but I, I have to, I want to talk, just expound a little bit here, because I think I've probably done this a couple times. Being full of the Holy Ghost and fire is not a one-time occurrence but it must be a lifestyle. The same as I die daily, I must live unto him daily. And I have to stir up the gift within me on a daily basis because in my flesh, my stinking rotten flesh is no good thing. Nothing. But if I keep that gift stirred up and I stay in the Holy Ghost and fire, led of God, listening, a still small voice, seeing the beauty of God, adhering to what God wants, then I can be a Stephen who it didn't matter what they were doing to him as they persecuted him and beat him. But what did he say? Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're sitting there beating him and killing him. And you know he had to be in pain. Those words weren't just some passive, Lord, forgive them. You know, he had to have be grunting and groaning because he would have been in intense pain. But he understood the bigger picture. Because what we endure in this life is nothing compared to the glory we're going to be receiving when we get on the other side. There's a necessity that we stay full of the Holy Ghost and fire on a perpetual basis so it does not allow anything to come in that should not come in. You know, you've heard the whole analogy of fence serves two purposes. A fence keeps in what you want to protect inside the fence. And a fence keeps out what you do not want coming in. Okay, I'll move forward. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, but 
and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what is light? Your good works. What is your light? Because there's a difference between what is light and what is your light. Because we know light in this reference is talking about those good works, but this is being led of the Holy Ghost, guided by God in those occurrences to give. The Holy Ghost working in and through you that they might be saved. What happens when you're in a room? Anyone ever walked into a room that there's no light on, it's middle of the night, and it's completely dark? What happens when you turn the light on? The darkness has to flee. It becomes, it, it, it does an escape plan and immediately evacuates the room as soon as light comes into the room. Several years ago, we took in the foyer and we started putting daylight bulbs in, those real, real bright bulbs. And we put one daylight bulb in one of those candelabra bulbs in. And I, I wish we'd gotten a picture when we did it before and after. One illuminated bulb illuminated the entire room. And I don't know how many bulbs were in those, those, uh, you know, those uh, fittings you know, 30, 40, 50, whatever, but all it took was one to change the entire atmosphere of the room. And I sat and thought about that, how one person letting their light shine can illuminate every single thing around them. Not for your glory. What does he say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Not for our glory. If they come and say, well, something about you, and I just feel the presence of God, it's not me. Turn it up to him. Turn it up to him. But it's about him. When we did that one bulb, it instantly changed every single thing in the room. You could see things you could not see before in the room. You could see imperfections that you could not see before. And it shined light where light was not. It's the same today where there is light, darkness has to flee. And if you were to be the light in the world and you were to walk in the world and you are the feet of Jesus walking in the world, is that illumination not what you're to carry through the world? That you might illuminate a path to heaven? That you might illuminate a path to hope and holiness? Ye are the light of the world. Psalms Chapter 119 and verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Each of these things, ye are salt and light, come back to the talent. Where, where what, we, what God gave us, I don't know why I wrote that sentence that way. I just really messed up that sentence. Praise God. <laughs> um, but it comes back to the talent what we're doing with what God gives us. If the Lord gives you a gift of, of a word of encouragement for someone, are you reserving that to yourself or are you giving it? Are you sharing it? Is your light set on a hill for all to see or is your light hid in the earth where there's nothing but darkness? 
In Matthew 25, chapter 25, verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to the other two, and to the other one. And to every man according to his several ability, meaning according to what they could do, and straightway took his journey. And then he, had he that had received five talents went and traded the same and made them five other talents, meaning he recreated, he brought an increase. And likewise, he that received two also gained two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants cameth and reckoned with them. So that he that hath received five talents came and brought other five, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He that also had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, I, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawn. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawn. Thou oughtest thereof to put the money to the exchangers, and then at my coming should have received mine own with usury increase. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath should be given, and he shall have an abundance. And for him that hath not should be taken away even that which he hath not. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I know that was a long reading, but what are we doing with the talent? You are the light. You are the salt. Each of these attributes, these things that Jesus mentioned, brought us into a place of eternity using the natural. Because we see light in the room. How many, you know, put salt on your food because it makes the food taste good? Okay? He used the natural to try to help us understand the spiritual. He gives you a talent because he trusts you. Just like a paycheck, if he allows you a job and a paycheck, he trusts you to return the tithe. He just trusts you to do the right thing, to have integrity. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he should be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And this is a scary place to not just break it, but to teach people to break the commandment and word of God. Sound doctrine is a necessity for every one of us. This is not open to private interpretation. It's not open to where two people can sit side by side and read it and have completely different interpretations, that's not it. There's one interpretation, it's God's and God's alone. And if we read and we don't have that interpretation, then we 
should hold our peace until God gives it. Those who teach things that aren't biblical and sound doctrine lead others down a path of destruction. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. We have but one hope of our calling. And if you would graciously allow me just to talk a little bit about sound doctrine. Because when you hear the Lord warn you about something, what's he say about the watchman? The watchman see the sword come, he's got to share it. He's got to share it and warn the people. And, and there's a necessity to stay in sound doctrine and the truth and not in old wives' fables and, and those things that to take, take away and detract from truth and holiness. When you hear something that doesn't line up, don't receive it into your spirit. God warns us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there will be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. There's necessity that the church stay in the doctrine of the Lord. This is the same doctrine the apostles preached in the New Testament for the plan of salvation, holiness of the Lord, and of standards. It's the same doctrine, how many remember Brother Emblem? Brother Emblem, Brother Elder Gilbert, maybe a couple. This is the same doctrine Brother Emblem and Brother Elder Gilbert and Brother Gilbert evangelized and preached before this church. It's the same doctrine Brother Darren preaches today to this people. But if there be any that brings some new thing, and this is for the, the admonishing of the church, that we have to be careful what we receive and what we hear. If there be any that brings some new thing, some new revelation for the plan of salvation that abandons the necessity of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, being fully submersed in water, and infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking of the tongues as the Spirit of God give the utterance, or that lead away from holiness to the Lord, separation from the world and standards of the Lord, let him be accursed. As it is written, Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, specifically they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Again, it's written, John chapter 10, verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Brothers and sisters, this truth is not for sale. And I know this is, I'm trying to think of how to not end on this note, because I sure would like to end it on a positive and not a warning to protect yourself. But it's not for sale, not to the soothsayers, not to the contentious. It's not for sale to those convinced in themselves 
to lead others another way to heaven when there is no other way to heaven. These are thieves who creep in and subvert whole houses. Listen not to them, but rebuke them before all and have no fellowship with them while they're drenched in delusion, lest you fuel their vanity and pride, thereby further adding to the perverting of this gospel. This gospel's personal. I don't know any other way to say this, but this gospel is your heritage. Okay? And it should be well guarded from any who would seek to change it or times and seasons. Let no man or woman steal the truth of God from you. Is that okay? We got three minutes. I couldn't believe I got there in three minutes. There are a lot of things said in this world. And just because people are convinced of a thing doesn't make it truth. There are people in the world that are walking today that will tell you that God's an alien and they're convinced that God's an alien and they actually have a religion about that. Just because someone believes something doesn't mean it's reality and truth. Does that make sense? And we as the church... Here's our positive. We as the church, being ambassadors for Christ, anointed by God, called by God, have a charge to stay in his truth and not to sway to the left or the right, but to stay in sound doctrine, sound doctrine that cannot be moved and cannot be changed. What do you say? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will. There we go. I love it when people quote, yeah. But my word will never pass away. This word is forever true and forever settled. You are the church. You are the peacemakers. You are the pure in heart. You are the righteous, the holy. God's children. Well, I hope, I hope someone gets a revelation of how precious that is, that God chose you because he loves you. There's a scripture that talks about be ready to give a a reason for why you have hope within you. And if someone asked me, I'd tell them the reason I have hope within me is because I know God first loved me. That's the only reason I'm here today is because God first loved me. He called me. He anointed me. It was all him and nothing at all to do with me. You are here today because God first loved you. How about we pray? Lord, we, um, I just thank you for your word. At every turn, at every point, your word confirms and your word strengthens. Your word is forever righteous and forever settled in the heavens. And there's no shadow of turning at any time. Which each of these items we talked about these last three weeks, I, I pray, God, that you would help us and quicken us as we go through each day. That we might, might take your very word and apply it in every part of our life. That we would be quick to hear and slow to speak. That we'd be quick to forgive. We'd be quick to have compassion and pity. That, that we, oh God, would do as David said and, and pray those prayers of creating me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit. That we, Lord, would earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. This gospel, Lord, is precious.
And without it, without you, God, we are lost and undone. We are all, Lord, in a rock. We are all, Lord, buried in the sand. But it's you, Lord, that redeemed us. It's you, God, that purchased us with your blood. And I, Lord, I am convinced this people, God, are convinced in you. Our confidence is not in each other. Our confidence is not in this world, but it is in you and only you. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are peace that passeth all understanding. You are our joy and our delight. And every day when it strikes the midnight hour, your word says your mercy renews afresh. And God, we, we just thank you for every day you give us. Every chance you give us, every opportunity, we thank you, God, for being a, a father who is pitiful for us merciful toward us, compassionate toward us. We thank you, God, that you did not judge us at any point for what man or woman could stand if you judged us at that wrong time and season when we all fall short of your glory. But your mercy is abound in our lives. Let us apply what you, God, have done for us. That if you, God, have had grace on us, if you, God, have been pitiful toward us, if you, Lord, have helped us and blessed us and sustained us, then we, God, should give that example in this world as your feet, as your mouth, as your hands, that we, God, might be the children of light, children of holiness unto you. God, I ask you to wash us in your blood. Before we wrap up this session, God, I ask you from the crown of our heads to the sole of our feet, God, create in every one of us a clean heart. Renew in every one of us a right spirit. If there be anything contrary in any one of us, I pray, O oh God, that you would search us diligently, tear it out of us as it were a deadly cancer. Let there not be any root of bitterness. Let there not be any issues, any contentions or strifes or debates or any of that garbage, God, but just holiness to the Lord. Aaron, it was wrapped around him, holiness to the Lord. Let it be wrapped around this people, O oh God, holiness to the Lord, a love and an adoration for you more than we have ever had in our lives. Help us, God, with every step and every measure to make our calling and election sure. Help us, God, at every step and measure to take this gospel to the highways and hedges and compel them that they might be saved, that we, God, might be faithful unto you, that we, God, might be honorable unto you. God, help us, I pray. All we have, Lord, help us. We give you glory and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget uh, prayer and fasting for Holy Week next week. Um, and usher, we got usher at the back. Be blessed in the power of the Holy Ghost. Love y'all.